That's, that works. Okay. That works. Always a big transition when children are dismissed, huh? For Cornerstone Kids. It's great. Just, uh, just to give you an uh, understanding of what, go, what goes on in Cornerstone Kids, first of all, they are, they are taught Scripture. They get to worship together down there after having this time of worship with us up here. Uh, but they are taught Scripture. And in fact, Lorraine came and said, could we have a little bit more time with the kids downstairs? And I thought, you're crazy, lady. <laughs> more time with Batman? They've had like 50 kids down there somewhere around that neighborhood over the last several weeks. So isn't that good? That's wonderful. So we want to keep them in our prayers. And, and uh, every time they're released, we want, to, we want to be mindful of what's going on down there and, and thank the Lord for those who are volunteering and helping out in that. Hey, if you uh, have your Bible or electronic device, would you please turn to Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. That's where we're going to find ourselves this morning, Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. We have been talking about our vision as a church family. And we've kind of been diving in to, to say, okay, if this is true, this is our vision. We believe it is of the Lord. We believe that God is already answering prayers toward this vision. Then we've been just asking the question, what, what, what does this look like? What does this mean? What, what kind of families are we talking about? Because we have set as our vision this statement that we would be a church family building great families. A church family that builds great families. Again, the, the foundation to this is a recognition that if the family is strong, if the family is sure, if the family is following Christ, then that affects the church family and it affects our community. Therefore, we believe that the breakdown of, of our society kind of has its roots in the breakdown of God's intention for the family. And therefore, we feel like God has equipped us as a church family to help build church families. Great families, rather, is what I mean. So the question that is before us is, what does it mean to be a great family? Well, we have said this, a great family is that who, those uh, families who are, who are living out the four greats of Scripture. And we've talked about the great uh, confession. We've talked about the great commandment last week. Today we're going to talk about the Great Commission, but as we looked at these two, we said that the Great Confession means that Jesus is the foundation of a great family, that Jesus is the center of the family, that He is confessed not only as Savior, but also as Messiah Lord, as the master of the family, the one who directs the family. He is the foundation. Last week we looked at the Great Commandment, and we said that love is the priority of a great family, to love God and to love others. To, to worship God, to give ourselves over in the worship of God after first recognizing how much God loves us, and, and, and then to love others, to, to put their needs, their concerns above our own, and to, as a family, seek to not only speak words of love, but act in love. That's what we've said. Today, we're going to look at the Great Commission, and what we're going to say is discipleship is the mission of a great family. Now, I need to let you know right off, I noticed the time. 
How many have roasts in the oven? Would it be okay if we went to one? No, not really. I'm joking. You guys got scared, didn't you? Actually, I'm going to do this into two parts, okay? Because I knew we, we wouldn't have tons of time this morning, and that's fine. But I want to do two parts, so don't worry. I see what time it is. And, but you know what that mean, You know what it means when a past preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. Anyway, just give you a heads up. But anyway, today we want to talk about this idea of disciple-making, discipleship. And we want, to, we want to point out that it is the mission of a great family. So if you've opened your Bibles to Matthew 28, follow along as I start in verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Father, we just come and thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth the, the absolute truth that we get to see today. Thank you for uh, what you have given us as instructions, both as individual followers of Jesus Christ, as well as families. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into the truth and that he would convict and encourage and challenge where needed. And we lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Questions. Remember when, those of us that are past this, but remember when your kids got to a certain age and there was this question, why? I remember going nuts, pulling my hair out because you would answer the why question and they would question that. Why? Well, because. Why? Well, because. Why? And then finally I just went, Caleb, be quiet! Or I'd say, go ask your mom. One of the two. But questions. I, I did some research this week and I discovered that, uh, that, <laughs> that children do ask questions. In fact, now, now this, is, this is research. This is not me saying. But at the age of four years old, young girls ask the most questions. In fact, it has been said that they ask 390 questions a day, which is an average of one question just under every two minutes. 390 questions a day, young girls at the age of four. Moms, this article said, moms are the ones that are asked more questions in an hour than any teacher or doctor. Okay? Kids love to ask questions. Here's some of the questions that kids might ask. How is electricity made? What is infinity? Why is the sky blue? How do birds fly? Where does the wind come from? How big is the world? What makes thunder? What is a rainbow? Why is the ocean salty? Why doesn't the sky fall on us? Which I thought was a good question. And then, of course, there's these. Where do babies come from? Yeah. What happens to us when we die? Where do people go when they die? And then, and then here's some important questions. 
Does God really exist? And then how about this one? Why do we exist? Why am I here? Now, some of you may have already gone through that, and some of you may have put out answers to those questions. Those are challenging questions. I'm not sure how you would answer them this morning, but I want to especially think of that last question. Why do we exist? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What is life all about? Chances are, if you're raising kids right now, if they haven't already asked you that question, they will. So what's your answer? What's your answer? Why do we exist? Well, some might say, we exist for the glory of God, right? And you would be right. That's what the Scripture says. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. But then you have to ask ask the question, or answer the question, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to glorify God? And we've used this term before, that it means to enhance His reputation, which I, I think is the best definition I've come across. But even then, what does that look like? What does that look like? And I would say to you today, our passage of Scripture gives us at least one answer to that question. Why do we exist? What is our purpose You see, it's a time in the disciples' life. Three years earlier, Jesus had called them to follow him, to be his disciples. Three years have gone by. They've watched Jesus do and say things that you and I can't even begin to comprehend. They were partners with him. He even sent them out on their own at one point, and they came back all excited, all giddy for what God had done through them as they were sent out. But now Jesus had gone to the cross. He had died And his disciples scattered. But they did come back to this mountain near Galilee where he told them to come. And and he meets them there. And he shows up. And he gives them purpose. And we call it the Great Commission. You've heard it before, right? I told Mona, my big challenge on this passage is, is everybody knows this. You're tempted to go to sleep right now, right? Well, I mean, you're always tempted, but even more so maybe because you are familiar with this text. But here's what I want us to see. I want us to put it in context of a great family, a great family that's on mission, that does have purpose, that when the kids say, why do I exist, mom and dad can turn to this and go, right here. Here's what the Word of God tells us. Here's what our purpose is. So what we need to understand today is is that the Great Commission is all about making disciples. If you've done any study in this or heard any teaching on this, you will know that there is one command in verses 19 and 20. One imperative. It's not go. It's not baptized. It's not teach. The imperative, the command in this passage is to make disciples disciples that's the command all the other things fall up underneath that and describe how to make disciples but the command itself is to make disciples so we might put it this way as we did at the beginning that that discipleship is the mission of a great family but then that leads to another question i'm just trying to be a four-year-old girl right now and ask questions right What does it mean to be a disciple? This is why this is going to take on two two different Sundays, because today I want to wrestle with that. See, our call is to make disciples. 
Our call is to, is to be disciple makers. But here's what I would, I would suggest. We need to know the bullseye. We need to know what we're aiming for. We need to know what it looks like to be a disciple before we can even attempt to make a disciple. Are you with me? Because that word disciple, we don't throw that a lot around a lot today. I mean, we, we might talk it in our churches and some people have this idea of it. Other people have this idea of it. But I want to just wrestle with that question today. What does it mean to be a disciple? What, what is the definition of a disciple? And I want to just kind of look at these, these 12 guys that Jesus called around him. And I, and I just want to take four, four quick uh, definitions of discipleship, of what it looks like to be a disciple. I, I want to look at four different things that a disciple is, according to how Jesus called these guys just in the Gospel of Matthew. And so I want to, I want to look at that today. Are you with me? So let's ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? What is a disciple? And the first answer I would give to you, based upon these 12, is a disciple is one who leaves who leaves. Back in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus called these guys, he did an amazing thing. I mean, you stop and think about this, how crazy this is. These guys are fishermen, at least the ones that we're going to read about. They're fishermen. They're at the lake. They're mending nets. They're preparing for the next day to go catch fish. It was their livelihood. It was their life. See, they had already missed out on being disciples of other rabbis. And so they had given themselves over to their job. They were, they were working every day. They were, this was their livelihood. But Jesus comes along, and it says he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, verse 18 of chapter 4 in Matthew, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture said, they said, yeah, just a minute, let's finish catching the fish. Let's give us a night or two, maybe a week, maybe a couple years so that we can gain support and have people pray about it with us. Just, just hold off, Jesus. We'll be there in a moment. But, but you know, first we've got to take care of things. No, no, that's not what Scripture says. Some of you are looking at me like unsure. Whether that, you knew that it wasn't true, right? I'm being silly. No, the Scripture says immediately they left their nets and followed him immediately and that word greek word means immediately it means just like that they did not take time to dilly dally to use excuses we got to pray about it we got to do no immediately they left and then scripture in that passage goes on and going on from there he saw two other brothers james the son of zebedee and john his brother in a boat with zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them and again scripture says in verse 22 immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. A disciple is one who leaves all others and other things for the sake of following Jesus Christ. Let's take this home a little bit. What's that look like for us? Does that mean I'm telling you today you need to go to Zimbabwe? You need to just from here, you need to go to Redmond Airport, get on a plane, and go? I'm not saying that. Does that mean that you and I have to be missionaries overseas to Indonesia? Kim's going, amen, right? Yep, Kim's saying yes. 
So maybe so. What it means is we need to be willing to give up everything for the sake of following Jesus Christ if we're going to be a disciple. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we need to be willing, as Jesus says elsewhere, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and follow him. And it's a daily thing. See, it's, a con- it's this understanding of, of leaving. And so let me, let me put it in terms that might hit home. <laughs> I was just watching the other day a show about the American dream. I mean, it didn't say it was the American dream, but we love the American dream, don't we? I mean, somebody is either coming over from overseas and, and they're dirt poor and they, they earn lots of money and pretty soon they're like Trump. Ooh, I'm walking on shady ground or shifty ground there. But, but pretty soon they're rich. We love that story. And we call it the American dream. Starting off poor, but becoming super rich in the end. That's the American dream. And here's the sad truth. Many of our parents, as well as our children, buy into the American dream. And you know what sometimes that looks like? That looks like mom and dad saying, you got to go to college. Why do I have to go to college so you can get a good job? Why do I have to get a good job so you can make lots of money? The American dream. Make lots of money so you can have lots of nice things. See, I would submit to you that being a follower of Jesus Christ, it may take you there. I'm not saying it doesn't. It may take you there. God may want you to have some finances so that you can use in ministry. But he may not. See, I believe what we need to understand in our own hearts is to be a follower of Jesus means I forsake the American dream. I give that up. I'm, I'm willing to do whatever. I remember when I was a junior in high school, a missionary came and spoke, and I grew up in church, and I knew what missionaries were like. They wore funny clothes. I considered them to be nerds. And every time they spoke, I thought... And I always heard it, you've got to be a missionary. You've got to go overseas. You are kind of a second-rate Christian unless you're a missionary. Sorry, Kim, no offense. That's what, that's what I heard as a youngster. So one day this missionary came as a junior in high school, and he's talking, he's preaching. I didn't hear anything he said except when he got to the end because he said this. I'm not asking you to f- go overseas to be a missionary. And I thought, Okay, something's wrong here. Either this guy isn't really a missionary or he's not following the Lord. I don't know which. But he said, here's what he said. He said, I'm asking you to follow Jesus wherever that may lead you. To give up other things for the sake of following him wherever that may lead you. It may lead you to be a missionary overseas. It may lead you into a corporate office. It may lead you to agriculture. It may lead you all these other places. But wherever he leads you, make sure he's leading you and you're willing to give up other things. I believe, dear, dear, dear church, that, that the heart of a disciple says, I'm willing to give whatever up I need to for the sake of following Jesus Christ. You see, these guys, immediately they left it all. Second thing about a disciple, I would tell you, is that a disciple is one who learns. One who learns. That's the heart of this word. A disciple literally means to be a learner or a student. But here's what's amazing about these guys. These guys, as I've said earlier, they probably weren't smart enough to make it to be disciples of other rabbis. 
They probably had, had, had gone through school. I mean, they had to go through school to a certain age, but, but they probably weren't the cream of the crop, and therefore they're out fishing again. And now here comes this rabbi, this teacher, and he says, follow me. And they understand that he's asking them to be his disciples. He's asking them to be his learners. And over the course of the, of the Gospels, what we see is Jesus teaches them. He, he teaches them about himself, about the Father, uh, about life. He teaches them. And so to be a learner really means that, that they take on his teaching. They, they, they have as his teaching, they, 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 they hold it as their own teaching. Jesus puts it well when in John or Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But listen to this. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now let me give you a clue. Yoke is an understanding of what he was teaching. It was his yoke. It was the things that he stood for, the, the, the things that he was handing to his students. Take my yoke. Take my teaching, my set of teachings. Take them upon you. And he goes, and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my teaching is easy and my burden, it's light. See, Jesus explains, you want to be a follower of me? Take my yoke, take my teaching upon you. But it means even more than that because it's not just listening to and learning Jesus' teaching, but it's actually living it out. Because back up in a, in a chapter, in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says this about discipleship. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. He is saying, listen, a disciple becomes more than somebody who just learns the truth from their rabbi, but they learn to be like their rabbi. They live like their rabbi. Wow. Stop and think about that in our, in our culture, in our context today. I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, that our world is teaching us. Whether we recognize it or not, our world is brainwashing us. Our world is giving us a, a worldview that is absolutely false. And moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, if you're not aware of this, and if you're not seeking to bring in a biblical worldview, then your kids, your grandkids, are going to go the way of the world. They're going to listen to the world. They're going to buy into the teachings of the world and become like the world. Have I scared you enough? See, I believe what it means for families to be disciples is that we are teaching our kids a biblical worldview about lifestyle about gender identity, about the biblical definition of marriage. Amen. When we don't address it, our world will. Our world will teach our kids. Who do you want teaching your kids? I'm sorry, I'm getting excited here. <laughs> Thanks. Mm, I love it. I've always wanted that to happen, and now I don't know what to do that it has. But we really need to think about this. See, a disciple learns from Jesus, not the world. 
A disciple learns from Jesus. A disciple learns to live like Jesus, giving up the worldview that this world gives, but takes on a biblical worldview. And I would tell you, if we want great families, it's not because they're going to listen to the world. The world doesn't have anything to offer a great family as we're defining it. Only Jesus does. And so I'm sitting here as a grandparent, and I'm going, my grandkids... They're growing up in a culture where they're told these things that I grew up knowing as wrong is okay. We tolerate these things. We accept these things. And in fact, instead of just accepting, we applaud these things. Brothers and sisters, we need to have our kids trained under Jesus. We need a right worldview, a biblical worldview. We need families that are discipling their kids. See, because you can bring them to church on Sundays and it's wonderful. And I'm so glad for Cornerstone Kids, for Lorraine and the others who are helping her in Cornerstone Kids. It is a vital, vital ministry. But you know what? They're only here for an hour. You get them the rest of the week. You have more opportunity than I do, than Lorraine does. You have much more opportunity than the Iwana leaders here on Wednesday nights do. You as moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, you have incredible privilege and responsibility to train your children up in the things of the Lord, to follow Jesus and his teaching and become like him. Enough said, I could go on and on and on. But a disciple is one who loves, I mean, excuse me, who who learns. Loves is the third one. A disciple is one who loves. One who loves. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to take a ton of time. If you really want to get into this, I maybe go online and listen to last week's sermon. But Jesus gave it to us as the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and your mind. And the second is like it, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and to love others. A disciple is one who is growing in their love for God. After, first of all, growing in their understanding of how much God loves them. I appreciated what Eileen said about the love of God just flowing in and through her. And I've been telling you that's what Mona and I experienced. And that's what we're still experiencing. And I want you to know, again, dear church, God loves you. He does. Don't doubt it. If you doubt it, look to the cross of Jesus Christ and stop doubting He loves you, and he demonstrated it to you. He loves you. And the more you and I start to get our our tiny little finite brains around the infinite love of our God, the more in love with him we are. I am convicted of it. And so we need to understand how much God loves us. We love him because he first loved us. That's what Scripture says. we got to understand his love. And then we, we are overwhelmed in worship. We're overcome in our worship of Him and it just flows out then into the obedience of Him because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will follow my commands. We talked about it last week. But then it's, it's loving others. Can you imagine a family? Can you imagine a whole church family that loves this community so much That we're willing to give our dollars, our time, whatever it takes to see people know that God loves them. 
I heard years ago a story of a pastor who, who lived next door to a, to a lady who had been divorced many times. And, and their family were trying to share the love of Christ with her. And one day he said, she caught him and she said, if only my husbands were like you, I would still be married. Kind of freaked him out. But I love what he said. And this is what we need to be able to say. He says, oh, no, no, no. I'm just like all your ex-husbands. You're not looking at me. You're looking at the love of Christ in me. That's what you're attracted to. Not me. It's Jesus in me. Can you imagine we as a church family and, and, and different families in this church family loving this community so much that they're going, man, there's something about you that I long for, something about you that I'm attracted to. And we can go, it's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. They're growing in love with God because of his incredible, infinite, limitless, unconditional love for them. And they're showing that to others. That's why we're saying love people, love people. And that's what it's about. So, so a disciple is one who's growing in love. And finally, this morning, we want to give this fourth definition of a, of a disciple. A disciple is one who labors, who labors. One of my all-time, well, it's not an all-time favorite, but, but one of my, uh, one of, a movie that I really, really like was playing right before Christmas on, on uh, I don't know, one of the channels we get. And so I DVR'd it. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Support Your Local Sheriff. Remember that? Some of you know it? James Garner, Jason McCullough. And he's just on his way passing through to Australia, right? That's what he says in there. Well, he comes into this town, and this town is run by these, these, the Danby family. And they are rebellious. They are lawless. They, are, they, are, they come in, and they can shoot people and not even blink an eye about it. And so he comes into this town, and he's this gunslinger. And he ends up, because of some events, I won't give the whole movie to you because I'm sure you're going to want to go out and see it. It's a great, it's funny, and it's got good gunfights in it. Anyway, um, so, so he, he, he is hired then to become the sheriff of this town. And what is so funny is the way he cleans this town up. In fact, one, one of the things is there, there's this group of about five guys on their horses at one scene, and, and they're coming in, and they got their pistols in the air, and they're shooting, and they're hooping and hollering, and, and townsfolk have to run out of the way, you know, to get out of there from, from being run over by them, and they're just going crazy, and they run right by the sheriff's office. Sheriff McCullough is sitting out on his chair, and he sees what happens. Well, then comes later on in the movie, they come into town again. They're doing the same thing. This time he's got a rope right down here. He's sitting down there. He's got this rope, and they get to a certain point, and he pulls this rope, and their horses trip. The rope goes clear across the road. Their horses trip, and they fall and stuff. And they get up. They can't, you know, they're dazed and confused. And then the next time they come riding into town, they're tipping their hat to Sheriff McCullough and... They're riding very peacefully, you know, and, and it's just very nice. He cleans up the town, you know. It's a story of one man who's hired by the mayor and city council to clean that town up. Here's the problem, though. We get that mentality in our church, don't we? See where I'm going? Pastor Jeff, he's the hired gun. You want to talk about the gospel? Go see Pastor Pastor, I have somebody that wants to receive Christ. Can you talk to them? No. 
<laughs> you talk to him. You've got a relationship. You can do it. But pastor, you don't understand. I, don't, I haven't gone to seminary. Good. <laughs> you probably know it better than I do then. See, uh, we get this mentality, but Jesus, see, Jesus collects these ragtag of fishermen and other guys, including a tax collector, an IRS guy, and he uses them. He calls them to become fishers of men, and he trains them. Basically, he says, hey, just listen to me and watch what I do. And then there comes this point, and he says, listen, I'm going to be with you, but you start doing some of it. And then he gets to that point that we've already talked about where he says, you know, I'm going to send you out, but you're going to come back in and we're going to debrief. We're going to talk about it. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, he's given them their marching orders from here on out. Here's what you're going to do. You're not going to sit back and just talk about the good old days when Jesus was here on earth. You're going to go out and you're going to make disciples for me. They labored. They were, to, they were to continue on as his disciples. They were, they were to be disciples who make disciples. So, so here's the bottom line. What I'm talking about today is this, that, that discipleship is the mission of a great family. Discipleship is the mission of a great family. Your kids ask you, hey, why do I exist? First, to know Jesus. Absolutely. We want to make sure you know Jesus. And certainly to bring glory to God, absolutely. But here's part of your task, too, to make disciples. To make disciples. But here's what I'm trying to get at this morning. You see, disciple-making, it takes one to make one. What I'm trying to say is we won't have families who are making disciples if they themselves are not disciples. If we don't have mom and dad who are seeking to be a full-on follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we, you can't make disciples. If we don't have mom and dad who are seeking to make disciples of their own kids, then we don't have disciple-making children. You see, we've got to be disciples ourselves before we can go out and make disciples. And that's why we, we've kind of taken this in two parts, because I wanted to, I wanted to really bring this home. I, I want us to be families who are willing to leave it all, leave the American dream, leave whatever when God says, come follow me in this. When he says, come follow me in this, I want us to be ready to go, absolutely, I'm there yesterday. That's what we need is disciples like that. I, I, I want to see families who are, who are sitting and hungry to learn. <laughs> I won't go there. But anyway, I want families who, who really want to know more about what Jesus taught and who He is. And, and we want to see families who are seeking to grow, not just on Sundays or at Wednesday nights in this, but throughout the week as a family, they're wanting to learn more about Jesus and how to become more like Jesus. We need to have families who, who are loving, where mom and dad are loving to each other because they love God, where they love the kids, not without discipline, by the way, but they do love their kids, and many times show it through discipline. That's another sermon. But anyway, we want families who love in crazy ways, and then we need families who, who labor, who get involved. Can you imagine what it would do for your children if you got together and served the Lord? 
Can you imagine the example you'd be setting if you said, you know what, today as a family, we're going to go visit so-and-so because I know they're hurting and we just want to bring the love of Jesus to them. We want to serve them in that way. Your kids would be blown away. You would be teaching them so much more than 100,000 words could do. So I'm just saying, here's what we want. Here's what we're holding up. We want disciples who will be making disciples. It takes one to make one. That's what we want to see happen. That's our vision for this church family. And I pray, I pray, pray, pray that you join us in that, if not already. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so, so amazed that you would be pleased to use us that you would be pleased, first of all, to call us to be followers of yours. And Lord Jesus, I, I would just thank you for your death and resurrection. Thank you for the truth that we have in you. Thank you, uh, Lord, that you are the example set for us, that your words are truth and that we can learn of you. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that, that directs us, that guides us into your word that convicts us of sin, that reveals uh, the right path to us. Lord, we're just so grateful. And Father, now as we have talked about these things, I pray that you would help us, even this week, to be individual believers who show themselves to be your followers, your disciples. And then may, us, may we be families who do the same so that together as a church family, we can continue to be your disciples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.